Hello, is this thing on? Welcome back to Energy 101, where we ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today, we have Maciel Diaz. She has spent 10 years in the industry. She's a field engineer. What? Mechanical. <laughs> Wait, what kind of engineering? Chemical. Chemical, Chemical. engineer. Mm. She was a wireline field engineer, and she is currently the co-founder of Flipping the Barrel, which if you haven't heard of that, you live under a rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're really moving the industry forward with women and just includes, can you explain Flipping the Barrel? Um, in a nutshell, we just wanted to shine a positive light on the industry. Very similar to what Digital Wildcatters is doing. <clears throat> yes. It's just showcasing how amazing people that we have with a hint of inspiration to have the younger generation join the industry. And then for those who are going through their careers to see people above them that might inspire them to like, hey, I want to stay in this in the long run because I want to be like X person that we interviewed. So it's, it's a motivational, inspirational podcast. Yeah, I love it. I, I think that y'all are a lot like Digital Wildcatters. I think that you all focus a lot on corporate yeah. world, which yeah. is needed. And yeah. we kind of like need to get in the corporate world uh, a little more. Um, but we should all do an event together. We should. Yeah. The two yeah, communities together so would be so fun. We 2023, should. here we come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So today um, we're going to learn about wireline because we hear it, that word, all the time. Yep. And I, I personally heard about it all the time because Colin also ran wireline yeah for like four or five something years um but that doesn't mean I understand it so first before we get into that how did you get in the field okay so I studied chemical engineering like you mentioned I grew up in Montreal in Canada where there is zero oil and gas and I had no idea like very similar questions to what you guys might have of like, how does the oil get to the pump and it gets into my car? That's all I knew about oil and gas. Zero, I uh, want to go into it. Um, but when I was graduating in my last year of chemical engineering, there was a lot of oil and gas service companies and companies coming to recruit. And because with chemical engineering, you can really go into different branches. You can go into pharmaceutical, food industry, uh, design industry, really anything. And oil and gas was actually a big part of it. And so I was walking in the hallway and I saw a poster of a girl which she was wearing blue coveralls with a hard hat. Her hair and makeup were done. And on one foot, she had a stiletto. And on the other one, she had hard hat, uh, hard hat, uh, <laughs> a steel toe boots, sorry. And Ooh. it really caught my attention where I was like, oh, I feel like that girl looks like me. Like not even in the look, uh, but in the, I'm like a tomboy, but at the same time, like I like to dress up once in a while. And yeah. so it was kind of like, I just saw, I had no, I'd never heard of this company before. Couldn't even say their name, Slumberger. Um, I probably butchered it back then. And when I saw them at the career fair, the logo stuck up to me and I'm like, that's the company. And there was a huge line waiting. And I'm like, I guess this is a good company. So I just kind of waited in line and I had like a 10 second pitch to the recruiter. And I think she liked me so much from that 10 second like spiel that she offered me an internship. <gasps> On the spot? How cool. No, oh, nice. it was like one interview okay. afterwards, but out of all the universities across Canada, they only had two spots. Oh, wow. And I was chosen as one of the field engineers for the position. So I was very excited. And Where did that happen at? In McGill University in Montreal. Okay. And then, oh, sorry. So the internship was in Alberta okay, in okay. up north in Grand Prairie. Okay. Um, and that was in fracking. So I did a summer of fracking as an intern. 
and I really enjoyed it. And then when I got hired on after the summer, I did a good job. They offered me a position in Wireline and I had no idea what it was. I did what we all do, at, you know, millennials. I would go I Googled it and I YouTubed it and I couldn't find anything about it. It would show me just like a picture of a cable, like a wire cable. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what this is. But, you know, when you're graduating, you're like, I'll take anything that yeah. pays me at this point. But I didn't know what I was signing up for. Uh, luckily, with the internship, I knew a little bit about what like the field life exposure was kind of like. So luckily, I had that aspect. I think sometimes it's really hard when people sign up to become a field engineer with never had had an internship. And then they're like, what? You guys work at night. You work all day. You're outside when it's really yeah. hot, when it's really cold. And then that's why it's really hard to keep people in the field, because I think a lot of times they don't showcase what the real life is like. So then people come for a month and then they're out. Right. So it really takes a certain kind of person to do field work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's super interesting that you didn't have any exposure to oil and gas at Zero. all, like, not from your parents, like you didn't see it or anything. And then you just decided to go for it. So whenever you went into chemical engineering, what was like your goal for that when you first went in? Like did money. You okay. So I remember <laughs> I Googled it and I said, which engineering degree makes the most amount of money coming out of okay. college? And Petroleum is usually the number one, but in Montreal, like I said, there was no petroleum, so it was chemical engineering. And I was like, okay, done, sent my application. Uh, so it was really just driven by money. Like, I didn't care what I was going to do so afterwards. Funny. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, so did you, uh, you lived out in Midland for a bit, right? Yeah. And I actually, compared to what everyone says that they like hate Midland or it's trash or whatever, I really liked Midland. I loved it. Like, it was one of the best years that I had in the field. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I actually hear. So I feel like there is a stigma that people hate Midland. I'm from Midland. Yeah. So um, I can see both sides. I wouldn't want to live there now raising yeah. a family, but I had a really great childhood. Like, I, yeah, it was awesome. Um, but I do hear I met someone at RY night the other night. She had lived in Midland for she was I forgot where she's from, but she had to move to Midland for her job. And I think she's a chemical engineer as well. And she just moved to Houston and she loved Midland. She really yeah. liked the community. She said the it was community. Yeah. The community was really great. People and are so kind. Yeah. 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 Um, and for, for me, so both having field experience in Canada where I worked for about four years in the field and then going to Midland, both field locations were really good in terms of like the people that I got to meet. Midland was a little bit more rough in terms of like the people that I find are allowed to work on rigs versus like the people that can work in rigs in Canada. It's actually like a very different standard. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, everyone was extremely, extremely nice and welcoming. And the what I loved about the West Texas uh, folks were that like, it's very much like Southern hospitality yeah. where like I would show up and they would all make a comment like, if my daughter was here, I wouldn't <laughs> want her to go to the restroom outside. So you could use, you know, my... You know, and when you're in the field, at least for wireline, once we get into it, sometimes you're out there for 24, 48 hours or a week yeah. and with a little backpack and like whatever you brought with yourself. So even like showering, sometimes you like you don't. Mm -hmm. But I always had like good enough people that were like, hey, there's a trailer out there that no one's using. We can give you a lock if you want. You can use it while you're there. Shower. Do you have food? Hey, we're going to order pizza. And like so it's like I think also like it's a positive of being a woman in the industry and like I like to say it because like I know people will be like oh it's because you were a girl and you got treated differently um because like sometimes the, and, like my operators or the people who'd work with me they're like we want to work with her because she always gets a pizza delivered or you know <laughs> I think you also have to show your work ethic 
and that you're yeah. really good at your job and you know what you're talking about to get that respect. But once mm-hmm. you gain it, then yeah, there's positives of like, they're going to give you extra attention. That's just normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You and know? honestly, it's good to be treated different as a woman in the yeah. field. Like, you don't, yeah. like, if you really think about it, do you want to be, you know, talked down to like all the, the roughnecks on the rig? Like, <laughs> yeah. no, thank you. I, I want to be treated with, you know. Yeah, and like something to talk about on the gender side is like, Sure, sometimes women can have it hard for X amount of reasons with biases, but guys get it really hard too. Yeah. Like they get way more bullying sometimes than women do. So it's like mm-hmm. we're both getting it just from, from different angles, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's still a hard environment that you kind of just have to crack. Once you crack and you become kind of like part of the the gang, then like it's welcoming. But at the beginning, you really have to show your stripes and show that you're there to work and then like they'll like you. Right, right. Okay, cool. so let's get into Wireline and how it works. Before we do that, I'm going to put Jules and Missy on the spot. Oh. <laughs> Missy, <laughs> mm-hmm. explain Wireline. What you well, think it is, what you think it is. Um, maybe like a metal rope oh, okay. type thing mm-hmm. that, um, I don't know. How long could it be? I feel like it, it's going to be very long. Yeah, hundreds right? of feet. What do you okay. think it does? Um, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, do I have no idea what it does, but it's a very important part of the fracking process. I'm going to guess. Okay. I have no idea if that's right or not. Okay, half so, half right because okay. so we'll get into it. There's. There's like three types of wireline. So I, I will label them properly. But yeah, there's wireline at the beginning stages with when there's a drilling rig out. And then mm-hmm. there's wireline at the end in the completion side where there's fracking. So but at the end of the day, the reason it's called wireline is because it's a cable. So very similar to what you said with different dimensions. It's like, let's say like a, I don't know the radius exactly, but let's say like a quarter of a coin or smaller. Mm-hmm. And it's very long, probably 30,000 feet, or depending on how deep the well is, you can make really big cables up to 40,000 plus feet or smaller. And what it does is it hooks basically the truck, the logging truck that's on location that usually mm-hmm. looks like a garbage truck. That's what they would call it. But it was it's an office, and that was my office. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have computers and monitors and a printer and all of the electrical kind of stuff. And then you have tools that different service companies have, like Halliburton, Baker, Schlumberger, Weatherford, where they've for many, many years come out with technology um, that helps you get data from downhole um, so that you can understand a little bit more of your reservoir. That's like in the beginning stages. So it really gives you like the health of the well, whether there's oil, whether there's water, gas, which zones they're in, at what depth, et cetera. And then also uh, for fracking, it gives you a conveyance belt, I guess, way mm-hmm. for you to bring down perforating guns. And I can get into that mm-hmm. as well, because that's what I was selling before I went to Mexico is I was taking care of all the perforating cells for the US. And it's guns that look like barrels like this, and they shoot in different forms. And the reason you want to bring those down in the well so that you can shoot into the ground is so that when you frack, which is water, sand, chemicals right. being pumped down hole, they need a place to go. So we go and break the rock very finely so that when the water and all of this stuff is getting pushed down hole, they break in through the rock. So you need to make those holes with guns. Right. With perforate, basically. 
So the the whole basic behind wireline is really just like a conveyance for you to bring down tools or guns or whatever it is that you're trying to bring down whole to work the well, basically. Oh. So let's break this down a little bit. Yeah. Um, from the call, like company A is drilling. They need you for what? Okay. So when you're a field engineer in wireline, open hole specifically, you're on call 24 seven. So they'll say, hey, Julie, at 3 a.m., come out to this rig in West Texas to give you the directions. Here's your logging program. So they've already worked with a sales engineer and probably like someone who's more technical that could say, what do you guys need in this well? Oh, well, you know, we just drilled this exploration well and we don't know where the oil is. We don't know where X is and we want to land the well here. And then all of these logs will help you later on when you want to frack and take out the, the oil. So it really gives you a map. You're kind of blind when you go down hole. So what these tools do is they really, by depth, they give you all the zones. So for example, like a basic one that it's very famous across all of the companies is like a triple combo is what it's called. So it's a gamma ray, a neutron, and a density, and you can add an induction to it. So this is all like Chinese. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I was following until you said Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I feel like, I'm like, yeah, gamma ray, neutron. So these are all different kind of data that we acquire through these tools and what the neutron, what the density, what the gamma ray, these are all things that are within the earth that we can collect. And then we put them on curves that look like a little drawings and they actually have quantities. So the gamma ray of that zone is, you know, three or um, the density, which is like actual density, you know, like the mathematical of like that rock is, mm-hmm. you know, 25 or, and all of these different data points from the earth can tell you whether you have oil, whether you have water, because they now know in a, you know, in a, they've already kind of done the research that these tools are going to react a certain way, depending on whether there's oil here or water here. So when you start looking at the, the curves, which is what I did, I was in the logging truck and I would see my tools working as we're pulling the wireline out. They're kind of just reading. So you take the wireline down the hole and then you're pulling it up and it's telling you, it's giving you it's data giving you as data. it's coming up. Yes. Interesting. Okay. What's so, the process of putting the wireline yeah, into Yeah, perfect. The- so the wireline is stuck on a drum in the back of the truck. It's like a, this big kind of like wheelbarrow. Like yeah, yeah, a big coil. And that's stuck to the truck elect- electrically where you can kind of send power through it and turn on. So I could turn on my tools. I could open calipers. I can close things. It's really like a remote control from the inside. Mm. So we rig up all of the tools and you can put them, you stack them on together. And that's labor work. Like there's the people are out there with wrenches and they're putting big tool strings together. Mm. Then they get raised up in the rig and they put them down in the hole. And then we put like our head at the end, which is the tool that connects the cable. That's like an actual cable. And then there's a tool and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the head and you kind of just connect it. I can turn on from the truck and I can see that my tools are all reading and they're all alive and like, okay, they're getting power. And then we start, there's like a way for you to put the cable through the top of the rig with like a little like a wheel, Mm -hmm. you know, like literally like- Like a pulley? Like a pulley, yeah, exactly. And then the the wireline goes down hole and the tools are heavy enough that they start going down. And then we have a winch, like actual winch, where you go, okay, I could go 5,000 feet an hour, 300 feet an hour. Like you drive the cable and you put the tools all the way down to where you hit the bottom depth, which is called TD, total depth. 
And so we usually know where that is because they've already drilled. So they're like, hey, the well is 10,000 feet. So mm-hmm. we're going down with our little like, you know, tools. And then, mm-hmm. you know, beforehand, you kind of slow down and you actually hit. And I see that my cable falls because like we hit the bottom. So then you start spooling cable into the well. And you're like, okay, no, we're done. We hit. And then it's mm-hmm. also a way for us to compare that the drillers were correct with their bottom depth and us. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, we hit TD. We're good. And by the way, a lot of stuff can happen before you get to TD. You could, you know, hit a spa. You can get stuck. You have to fish. I mean, so much crazy stuff could happen because you're going in a live hole. Like yeah. there's nothing there, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff can happen. But let's say like everything goes great. You hit TD and then you start pulling up. And then I start my logs. And then I tell the guy who's driving or the girl who's driving the winch or me. Sometimes I would have to drive it. And I know what the speeds are needed for my tools. Because if I go too fast and they're not going to get the data, if I go too mm-hmm. slow, it could be saturating and they're not going to get the data. So we kind of like we know exactly how far we how fast we can go. And then we start pulling off. And then as they're going, I'm looking on my screens and I can see all these beautiful colors of different so curves, cool. like blues and reds and greens. And mm-hmm. I can tell that they're logging. And then that's what we give the clients. And then they are able to understand what all of these lines mean. And then they put them into softwares. And then it tells you, like, this is where you should land your well. This is where you should perforate. This is where you should frack. This is where all so your zones like pre-fracking. are. Pre-fracking. So people Wait, would. You're still drilling at this point. So they use wireline when you're still drilling to kind of get the data so they can know where. What to do next. Okay. Where's the oil? So where are we going to go? For every well, is this what happens? Back in the day. Yes, because they didn't have enough data. Now it's been like 80 plus years. They have so much data. They're like, we know where these rocks are. So wireline in a sadly way is like dying more and more as the years. It's more for fracking now. Yeah, for fracking they use it every single well because they need to convey the tools down hole to perforate. The guns. The guns. Because that you need to frack. Right now, they don't need as much data to know where it is because they're like we've studied west texas fields yeah. for 100 yeah. like you know 89 years now or whatever i don't mm-hmm. know the date they're like we don't need to bring wireline we're pretty good we have data from here from here from here from all of these neighboring wells it's like a puzzle you don't have to go and use it anymore right so it kind of sucks on that end because but we do have really great technology that keeps coming up every year that maybe they don't have that data because the tool just is brand new and then they might will do it on one well out of all the pad. So, yeah. That's really cool. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. So in a case when you're putting wireline into a drilling well and something goes wrong, like then what does the process look like? Like isn't it expensive? Super expensive. Yeah. So there could be many things that happen. Like the worst thing that could happen is that the tool gets stuck somehow. And Mm -hmm. no matter – so it happened to me a few times, not too many, but it does happen – where you're coming out and all of a sudden it's like you're fishing and it gets stuck. Yeah. And you know how you're like, okay, you're pulling pulling and nothing's like nothing. Mm -hmm. And what's really could be a big safety thing is you don't want the cable to break because it could hurt someone if there's someone out on the rig and you're leaving all these tools down hole and two of them, or depending what you're running, have like radiation sources Mm -hmm. that you put inside the tool. So like I actually had to physically with like a tool put a radiation source into the tool. And then if that stays on hold, it could pollute the whole land. It could be a big danger for population. So it's like huge responsibility of you not like never losing it down hole or losing it in public. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that's kind of like the scary thing is like if you do break the cable and they can't fish it out, you're leaving these things that you're going to have to cement afterwards with radioactive mm-hmm. sources. So what what happens in that en- in that instant if you're pulling and pulling, you're like, OK, it's been multiple hours and we can't break it and we don't want to break the cable. Then we call out a fishing company and it's usually like another company that comes and I don't know what they do. And sometimes it could take a week or more days where they're just working putting things in, trying to Mm -hmm. rip things out. And sometimes they'll have to cut the cable at surface, like properly versus it just snapping. You go in and you cut the cable with specific tools. And then they try to work the well to try to remove all of the stuff out. So it's a a very interesting process. But yeah, it could happen. Just bad luck. It seems like a high stress level job. It is a very high stress level job. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah, very stressful job. Very, very stressful job, especially because the people who usually are field engineers, I would say like we just graduated college, like the majority (laughs) of us. And here we are handling a million dollar operation. Yeah. So there's a lot of stress. And one thing that even when I was in the field, like you're always scared of like, you're going to screw this up. You're going to screw. There's so many things that you can literally screw up and will get you fired. So you're always just like on top of your game because really anything that you miss not only are you getting fired, but you're screwing up like a lot of money for the yeah. company or for like and safety wise. Customer, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's a very stressful job. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a uh, that's insane. So a while back, someone brought their perforating gun. Yes. So uh-huh. Colin used to I've seen them because I've seen like the gosh, what are they? They're like cables with powder in them that yep. ignite the whatever. So he used to have to put those together by hand. Yes. Like all of that, just string it together. They were like electricians, basically. Yes. <laughs> um, but someone came back. They brought some tools to our office a while back, and it's like all put together now. It is. It like is. Everything is so yeah. much easier. There's been a lot of technology upgrades, definitely in like the wireline perforating world where, I mean, like you said, back in the day, you used to have to put you know, everything together from the explosives. And like, I remember even like you weren't allowed to have your phone nearby because it could, you know, like any sort of signal set anything off. So Mm -hmm. it was very dangerous job. And if you like kind of like a ticking bomb, if you wire it wrong, like you could initiate it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now what they have is they've worked a lot on technologies in the last few years. And even what I was selling, like we had this like brand new, beautiful gun and it came fully loaded. So like you don't have to do that anymore. And they just deliver it to location. So you don't need a gun shop. You just go straight to location. They're all put together. And then you just need like two, three people to put it down hole. And that's it. When I saw that, I was like, can I go run a wireline? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like anyone could do it Okay. To be honest, I'm sorry to anyone who works in wireline, but like a a monkey can do it. (laughs) I like, I'm not even kidding because that that point once everything's down hole it's just like monitoring stuff right. and then like you click two buttons you shoot guns and you're like okay that's i fun. collected a few okay. thousand dollars <laughs> like yeah yeah that's fun um do you ever miss being in the field i do yeah. i do yeah i always thought that i i would if i didn't have a husband and like a baby now i'm someone that i could see like i would have stayed in the field for a way longer time mm-hmm. because i really enjoyed kind of like the lifestyle weirdly and the days off because I would work two weeks yeah. on and I'd get a week off to do whatever I wanted. And I really that liked nice. that you're kind of in your own bubble. You're kind of just like running your own thing and you just get sent to do things. and You don't have to mm-hmm. answer to corporate or the, the politics or like the office kind of stuff. I just like doing my own little thing out in the field. So but, when, when yeah. you're like two weeks on, like what is work life like? When are you living you're on, on site? OK, no. So it depends. 
for us, when I was in Midland, I'll give you an example of Canada and Midland. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Canada, depending on the project that you were on, you would live there for two weeks in a camp. Okay. I loved camp. I was like, send me to camp. I'll stay here all <laughs> month if you want. Because there was a beautiful gym, pool, cook, what? like, yeah, cooking, like, like beautiful steaks, turkey dinner night. Like, nice. uh, we had the best food and it was all free. Yeah. So I would go in. Would like, there was a cafeteria <laughs> with right. yeah. There was a cafeteria with cookies, donuts, pizza, like ice cream machines, and I was like again like a college student that had just graduated, and I was cheap, and I was like, oh my god, I don't have to pay for groceries, <laughs> and I would just eat for free, and then you would get called out, and then the rape was usually close by because the camp was because it was so far from anywhere that you mm -hmm. couldn't get called and go all the time because it would take you like thirteen hours to get there. Yeah. So we all lived on site, and there was like a game room we would watch the bachelor on tuesday nights with all of the guys oh, and they were like because i was like guys it's bachelor night i don't care but i'm taking this room and you guys are welcome to watch it and they would mm -hmm. um so yeah it was it was a really fun time i really loved my time in the field in canada because of that midland did not have that when i got to midland i was like where's our camp Everything's where's our free so food close. and they're like yeah. no you like go home and shower i'm like yeah. no i wanted to live here for free but uh, yeah, in Midland, <laughs> everything's close two to three hours max. So yeah. you go out to the field, mm -hmm. you go back home after you finish. But sometimes you can finish in two days or three days. And while you're there, there's nowhere for you to sleep. So yeah. we would sleep in the pickup truck or like on a chair like this inside the truck while I'm watching my computer. Mm -hmm. Or like I said, if the company man was nice enough and they had an extra trailer, they would let me use like a bunk bed or something. So you're two weeks on, you're just on call. You're not, you're on you call. don't for sure have a job. No, if you don't, so if you don't have a job, it was kind of nice because like you would go to the shop and make sure that all of your tools were good and mm -hmm. ready and like, okay, so if I get called, I'm ready to roll. Then you mm -hmm. could just, I'd go to the That's gym, it, I'd yeah. go to go hang out with my friends and yeah. like just wait for that phone call. Yeah. Um, That's cool that you had a wireline schedule that was two weeks on, one week off. A when, lot of people don't. No, when Colin did it. 24 seven all call, the time all the time we yeah. couldn't ever plan vacations. yeah but he also when he worked on the rig as a hand um he did two weeks days two weeks nights two weeks off which we liked we liked that a lot yeah but um the nights were very hard <laughs> yeah yeah well we so were you're having to live there like y'all are living constantly by the site right no, in Midland, so in no. Midland, you just live you. So he would it depends on where the rig is, but you just drive out to the rig. So he would have to be at the rig at six and then he could leave at 6 p.m. But sometimes if it's two, three hours, he would have to drive home two, three hours. Yeah. Come home, it. sleep, go back. Go out. back. But yeah. because y'all were already living in, in Midland, Midland yeah. close yeah. enough. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. And Canada is close. really far. Mm -hmm. So when you go out to a site, they usually provide somewhere for people to live. And it's like 400 yeah. man camps or bigger. Um, so yeah, that's nice. cool. So that do y'all cool. have any more questions about that? Mm -mm. Yeah. Let's switch gears to being a woman in the field okay. and kind of, um, what your experience was there. You kind of touched on it. Uh, it wasn't too bad, but was there, is there anything also, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but you've also kind of switched gears to sales mm -hmm. over the past few years. How is that? I don't know if you want to talk about this, so yeah. please stop me if you don't. But <laughs> I'm so curious. Being a field engineer is very different than being in sales. Yeah. And when you make the switch to sales, is there some kind of like stigma you felt there? Yes. And was it very different from the field? Yeah. Okay. So 
Uh, how should we start? That was um, I know that was yeah, okay. Okay. Let's start. Let's start with like just my overall experience as a female. So I've been on several podcasts, and I've always said like it's been a very good experience for me. But I also have heard from different women that it isn't necessarily good for them. Mm. All I could talk about is like my experience, and I think why it's been good for me is I really think it's like how I carry myself. And you know where there's a fine line and you know how to get respected. And it's just kind of like in me. I grew up with just like a single mom and my grandmother. So like there was no males in my family ever. So it was like I like had like a weird confidence of like, yeah, my mom's a single mom and she can raise me. And like, I don't like whoever you are, like you're not going to tell me what to do. And it's not like that. That's the attitude. But I think I just came with a different like I'm here to work and Mm -hmm. don't treat me any different. And I have always been a really big workaholic. So I think whenever I've been on anybody's team, they always see me as like, okay, she's here to put in the hours and Mm -hmm. she's here to, you know, go scrub and get dirty and I don't complain. And so I think it's come, uh, your work ethic really kind of like, they're going to want to work with you regardless of your gender. If you're like putting in the work and you want to be part of the team. The only weird things that I would say that like happened early on in my career was like I was telling you guys earlier when I would first arrive to Reagan, I'm new, right? I'm like 22 years old. I've never mm-hmm. been out here before. And I go and there's like naked women all over the rig in terms of like on the posters, not in real life, yeah. but like <laughs> posters, you know? And I'm like, I just thought it was weird. I'm like, uh, but, you know, I didn't question it. I was like, okay, I guess this is the industry. Like there wasn't like, oh, we need to remove them. And like right. looking like now 10 years into it, I'm like, no, like there should be a little bit of like respect and like we yeah, shouldn't have definitely. to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But it took me almost 10 years to like come to that realization. When I was going through it, I was like, it's guys, it's fine. Like that's their like that's their thing. I'm not going to go in there and but like, um, rip them all down. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, it's cool. I'm like a girl living in a guy's world. Like, that's fine. I don't need to do any of that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is weird. And then um, again, like in the bathrooms filled with like porn, like uh, oh, magazines and it's just it feels weird because like, like I was telling you guys, I was the only girl out of let's say 30 guys on a rig mm-hmm. and we're in the middle of nowhere in a forest. And sometimes I would think like something really bad could happen. Like you just, I don't know yeah. any of these people yeah. except for the two guys who work with me that are like my buddies, everyone else. I can't, I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I would catch myself in situations where I'm like, what am I doing here? This is kind of weird. Like it was scary at the beginning sometimes or like, in certain areas, we would stay in like really small towns in the middle of Alberta, Canada, and mm-hmm. we would stay in a motel. And, you know, like you're by yourself and you're like 23 years old. And, you know, sometimes it was kind of like, what am I like? This is a weird environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But overall, it's the majority of it was really good. But yeah, sometimes there were situations where I'm like, this isn't really like a good place for a young girl. <laughs> but you're kind of like, this is just part of my job and I'm just going to focus on it and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is definitely a few like, eh, this is weird. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So question on the sales. So yeah. So yes, there's a big stigma. And I think having field experience and the fact that I'm an engineer has really helped me when it comes to like, no, I know what I'm talking about. And I'm not just like what they'll say, like, you're just a pretty face that got hired because you're in sales and that's what they do. And And I'm like, no, like I worked five years in the field. I earned all of my stripes. I also studied engineering. So like, no. Mm -hmm. But yes, there's definitely that, especially when I went into sales. I think at the beginning, people just portrayed me as like, of course, they hired this girl off the street because she's cute and she's Colombian and she's got like sass. And like, of course, she's going to (laughs) sell. And that sucks because it would take away 
everything that I've done. Yeah. Like right. every blood, sweat, and tears. I'm like, you guys didn't see me at minus 40 with like, right. you know, freezing, putting on these tools and like five years of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think at the beginning it was hard because I do see it or we all see it on LinkedIn where like it's girls just taking selfies and like they don't even know what they're selling. And it sells, unfortunately, in West Texas, sometimes it does. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it kind of puts a negative image yeah. on you who've like worked so hard to get there and like earned it. Um, but I will say it really turns around quickly once the customer gets to know me, even within our first meeting yeah. of like how I get, how I portray myself, how I hold myself, how the, you know, I know there's a fine line of like what I'll accept and what I don't. Mm-hmm. And guys will test you on that. You know, like they'll say a funny joke and like if you kind of lead in and like let them, they they might be like, oh, okay, like she might want more than that, you know. Mm -hmm, But if you're like, yeah, no, I'm not here for that. Like, please, like respect what they're like, never again. Okay, this girl's here for business. Mm -hmm. So I I do think it's important to have that kind of, you know, attitude. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I think after a meeting with a client, they're like, okay, now she's legit. She's real. And I think it helps me like 10 times more because I have the personality to like have great relationship with customers. But they're also like, she's also really smart and she knows what she's talking about. And that's the kind of person we want to help us with our sales. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it ends up being good, but it definitely does suck a little bit in the beginning when they just see you as like this girl that got hired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's a... Yeah, interesting dynamic there. Um, but your field knowledge definitely helps. Oh, yeah. I, I always say, like, trying to learn this stuff without actually seeing anything is very difficult. Yes, so it's hard. Because hard. Mm-hmm. I'm like a very visual person. So yeah. I'm like, I need to like see pictures of this. And I'm always on TikTok. Like, there's so much oil filled stuff on TikTok. And I'm like, I look at it and I'm like, what's going on here? And yeah, well, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's so complex. The like, it there's is. so there's many so things. Much like, right. so much material per process. I'm like, what is this? What yeah. is this? <laughs> so, a lot yeah. more um, technology than people. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of technology right. in oil and gas. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's a good place to be in. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. for the younger generation. So. Yes. Yes. Do we want to go into rapid fire? Yes. Okay. Yay. All right. Here we go. What is the number one misconception about the energy industry or oil and gas? That we don't care about the world and that we don't care about the environment and we we just enjoy to pollute the world when we don't. And <laughs> oil and gas companies do a lot for the environment more than people think. Realize, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why should I care about the energy industry? Because it's what moves the world. I mean, yeah. think about... almost every single thing that you do or touch has to do with oil and gas and like why not want to be part of it and I'd say for the people or the younger generation that are questioning whether this is a good industry to come Mm -hmm. into we're going through an energy transition in the long term and there's a lot of technology being involved in oil and gas to just make it more efficient and better and Mm -hmm. this is the place to be to be part of that change and like bring your creativity with new innovations it's not a dead business if anything it's like it's growing. Yeah. So we need we need talent to come here. Yes. And then the last one, what's your most embarrassing story in your career? Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I guess I'll say this one because why not? Um, I think I was telling you about it. When I was doing sales in West Texas, obviously, the majority of my uh, clients are men. And I've never had a problem with absolutely any of them. Like everyone's been extremely respectful. But there is this one in particular where we went out for lunch and it's very normal 
for a female to take out uh, one or two guys for lunch and just right. in this business world and mm -hmm. we're out in the public at 12 o'clock like it's not <laughs> like I'm taking them out at night you know right. so for me it was just like a normal day but it so happened because it's in Midland such a small town, town. his wife saw uh, saw it and wait she, she saw y'all eating together or what yeah like in uh. a business setting and then um she kind of questioned him when he get he got home and he was like yeah she's like our sales for whatever yeah and he, she wanted my name so she found me on facebook mm -hmm. and messaged my husband she went and like found my name oh found my that i was married and like messaged my husband and my husband's like what is this it seems that you're like cheating on me you know and then she was like going at it like your wife is doing this and i caught them and like and it was this big story like luckily my husband like wouldn't question me and so yeah he, we were both laughing at it and she's like can i call you i need to call you and i was like so we were both together i'm like put it on speakerphone like i need to hear this mm -hmm. and he was just reassuring her like this is her job like she's not that kind of girl and whatever mm -hmm. but i would say like that was pretty embarrassing because then That's like so how could i awkward. go back I know. yeah and she requested that like he didn't deal with me anymore as a oh sales that's embarrassing wow. for him yeah right. but for <laughs> me it's really embarrassing <laughs> too because i'm like i guess i like never go back there like it was just like we had to put someone else in but it was so weird and like uh well and i feel like when sucked. you work in sales like that's what you do you take your clients out it was like oh i want a you know that's like a big <laughs> Ugly husband. <laughs> like, <laughs> like relax yeah yeah that's crazy i wow. honestly that's so embarrassing for that i would hate to be that wife yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah that conversation was probably just so awkward like for the both of them like what are you talking about this is literally well busy. did he mm -hmm. call you like did no, he know he was warning you could tell that this guy does not wear the pants in the relationship because he was scared <laughs> of his wife like scared no, no he like blocked he me he couldn't talk to me anymore are like, you serious yeah that's so crazy yeah. that is wild, wild. Mm -hmm. like itch. i feel like 40. yeah <laughs> yikes yeah, I think that probably brought out some other issue too. Yeah, underlying right. issues I wonder if in they're still married. Yeah, <laughs> but luckily, like I said, no other client has this ever happened to. But it was just like bad to happen with one. Yeah. And then that, yeah. that's part of the business. Like you're gonna have this where maybe sometimes coworkers like don't want you to hang out with their spouse because they're jealous. Like it's just mm -hmm. it's a weird dynamic. But at the end of the day, it is. And that's what's weird about like being a female in oil and gas is that mm -hmm. sometimes that dynamic is weird. Mm -hmm. So I want to put this like PSA out there to all the men in the industry. Don't shut down women who want to network, want to grab lunch. Don't shut them down just because your wife might get mad. Like that's that's yeah terrible for women in the industry. It's not like I don't want to say like, oh, it's not fair, but it's not like yeah. treat them like you would anyone else. Like, yeah, it's like discrediting if you, if, their Yeah, if your spouse knowledge. has a problem mm -hmm. with it, that's y'all's issue don't make mm -hmm. the women in the industry feel that yeah. yeah and that's like one thing i'm very big on and have always been big on with like my marriage is like i want colin to take all the lunches take all the phone calls from the women who were coming to him for help yeah. like i think colin and i like clicked on instagram way before you and yes, i clicked on yes. and we were just like talking and yeah. then like you and my husband talk all the time yes. without <laughs> me even knowing so like, <laughs> we don't care it's just yeah. like we're like if you're confident, like it doesn't matter. Like yeah, no one's out here to get anybody. Issue. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, this is a really good episode. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank, thank you for coming. I feel like coming. we learned a lot. I didn't know there was even a like drilling side of wireline. I thought it was only used for fracking. So yeah. I'm glad you. That's how it started. 
Okay. Because back in the day, there was no fracking and there was none of that stuff. So it was just like, actually, Wireline is the very first, like, service that Slumberjay ever gave. It was one log from, like, one tool, like, I think, like, I don't even want to butcher it, but, like, 80-something years ago. And they were able to get just an electrical current and do one log. And that was, like, Mm -hmm. the first log ever made in a well. And then they kind of just expanded with the technology. So Wireline kind of was the the core of the business and then everything know. else grew around wireline mm-hmm. yep. that's very cool. cool yeah well if they want to find you yes plug your socials uh, okay so linkedin maciel diaz mello corporate and then instagram mace fit life cool and then yeah. she has a podcast called oh, flipping yeah, the barrel girl. thank you yeah. <laughs> sorry jamie i completely <laughs> forgot uh, <laughs> But scrap LinkedIn and Instagram. <laughs> the podcast is Flipping the Barrel, flippingthebarrel.com with my co-host, Jamie Elrod. Um, so yeah, find us. We would love to interview anyone who has a really great career in oil and gas and that's made it to an executive VP or CEO. That's kind of like the the interview people that we do. Awesome. So, cool. Thanks so much for coming on today. We loved having you on. Thank you, guys. All right, bye. 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 (laughs) Over and out. (laughs) Over and out.